Texas 512 is part of the Texas Podcast Network, the conversations changing the world. Brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this podcast represent the views of the host and not the University of Texas at Austin. This is Sam Torres, Texas Longhorn fan, native Austinite, admissions counselor, and your host with the most. And this is Texas 512. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us yet again for another episode of Texas 512. I am your host with the most, Sam Torres. At this point, you should probably already know that. But today, I'm really excited to talk about a topic that tends to come up quite a bit, especially, you know, as you guys already know, I'm an admissions counselor. So I get questions from all kinds of different students, all kinds of different backgrounds. And some of the students that I tend to hear from are students that are either veterans themselves or they are children of veterans. And so little did some of those students know is that we actually have a complete department at UT Austin for student veteran services. And so today I have Jeremiah, who is going to tell us a little bit more about what they do here in our student veteran services here at UT Austin. But I mean, first things first, I'm just going to stop rambling and allow Jeremiah to go ahead and introduce himself and tell us who he is. Good morning, Sam. Thanks for having me. My name is Jeremiah Gunderson. I am director of veteran services. Funny story. I don't think you know this yet. It just officially happened yesterday, but our office name has now been changed to veteran and military affiliated services. So, you know, like every good office, we need an acronym. So VMAS now. And yeah, I've been the director for about eight years at UT running the office and the transition. That's about it for me. I mean, I could go into some of my background. You know, I was in the army myself. I was a medic with the 4th Infantry Division. I was our clinic NCUIC, that means non-commissioned officer in charge. Also medical readiness, so make sure everybody had all the vaccinations, hearing tests, vision tests, all the things they needed to be deployable and to get ready to deploy to combat zones. Did that, I was medically retired due to an injury in, in 2009. and finished school as a student veteran myself at that time so awesome yeah and i mean thank you for your service also i was going to ask if, if you served previously i figured you did but i appreciate of course on behalf of everyone thank you for your service and we'll definitely go a little bit more into your background and, and the work that you do here at UT Austin a little bit later. You know, those that have listened to the show previously know how it's usually formatted. We'll we'll get to know you a little bit more and, and break the ice a little bit in this upcoming segment. So we're just going to go ahead and throw it to a very, very quick break. And whenever we get back, we'll go ahead and ask some fun icebreaker questions. So don't go away. Right, and we are back. So, as I mentioned, we're going to go ahead and break the ice a little bit, and I'm going to ask some super fun, light, and easy breezy questions. Of course, those of you who have listened to the show before, you know how this segment usually goes, and I usually ask anything and everything in this segment. So, Jeremiah, to start things off first, I wanted to ask. So, this is a bit of a crazy question. I think I've asked something like this similarly before. You know, a lot of people tend to watch like time travel movies and things like that, and um, sometimes I often think about the consequences 
of time travel or just what it would be like if we had the ability to do so. And you know, wouldn't you think that at this point somebody would have visited us by now if like time travel's already been invented? Anyways, I'm rambling on. The, the question that I'm trying to ask you, Jeremiah, is if you could time travel to any period of time, where would you go and why? You know, I have thought about that a bit. My, I got my master's degree in history. And I've always been fascinated by history and politics, you know, especially the formation of our country. I've always been a huge fan of, you know, the founding fathers and the Revolutionary War period in America. I actually have a newspaper from when Thomas Jefferson was president hanging in my wall in my office at UT. And I think that's when I would want to go back to the Revolutionary period. I would love to see, just be in the room and the continent Congress and you know the conversations that happened and see what they really meant by all that you know so much argument about it now you know try to understand their mindset a little more that sounds like a really interesting period of time definitely to go back and it's it's funny actually that you mentioned that you're a history buff I think that this question is like greater for for somebody that studied history and of course granted you'd want to go to the past versus going to the future because that I mean no limitations with that question for sure you could have also gone to the future to see how things were but you know would you would you try to get involved in some some way or would you kind of like just try to like blend in and and just look at things from afar because i know again with the whole rules of time travel it's so crazy that like if you mess with just one thing it could like change the entire course of history as we know it right yeah that would be the challenge and believe me that's a shower thought <laughs> i've had before where you know you could consider doing something like that but you know what would you tell them like hey you know just so you know if few hundred years from now this is going to be really controversial maybe you ought to be a little more clear about what you meant here you know but then does that impact things and would you have to slip it in in a way where they didn't realize someone from the future was telling them you know yeah those are the kind of things that keep me up at night right you never know what what that could ultimately result in because then everything would look completely different even if it's just one even if it was just one word in the declaration of independence that changed that could like completely change history as we know it. But it's it's uh it's definitely interesting that you think about that because wh what I think about is me wanting to go back to high school and just telling myself to be more confident. That's what I would want to do if I could time travel. But again, I'm very grateful for where I'm at now. So who knows how how that would have changed things. So I know I kind of was mentioning it right now, and I don't know if again if you can hear her, but I, I have a, I have a dog. I was gonna ask if you yourself have any pets, have had any pets, yeah, experience with pets. What are your thoughts <laughs> we have a cat very large black bombay cat who's very loud as well so if he comes out here and starts screaming at me then you'll hear that but we also have an interesting pet we have a poison dart frog interesting venom <laughs> <laughs> he's a lot of fun uh, we also own a fruit fly farm because that's what they have to eat so we have to constantly make fruit flies they're special wingless kind most people are trying to get rid of them we're trying to grow them and that is super interesting. What made y'all go about getting the, the frog? Truthfully, I was at the pet store one day for something I don't recall, and I saw them in a tank. I was like, you can buy those? I want one. And that's kind of where it came from. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun to watch him chase flies around. So is he is he still poisonous, or did they like remove his poison gland or something like that? No, they're actually... So fun fact about them is their poison comes from the the ants and like the poisonous bugs that they eat in the wild in the Amazon. So as long as they're domesticated and were born domesticated and don't ever eat poisonous ants, then they'll never be poisoned. That's interesting. Okay. All right. Cause if, if I owned a pet like that, I'd be too afraid to even like touch it. <laughs> but, but that's interesting. Like, okay.
okay, so then if, if they, they don't have those ants, then they, you don't have anything to worry about. So that's cool. Cool, 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 cool. Moving on to the next question that I have for you. So, you know, I think that all of us have you know, a little something that, you know, we, we, we can't give up. Like for me, it's Whataburger. I cannot stop eating that stuff. I usually have it like almost every week and it's bad. It's so bad. Too much red meat, too much carbs. I mean, I need to stop, but I can never give it up. So is there, what's one thing that you could never give up, even if you tried, whether that's, you know, food or like a hobby that you do or a TV show that you watch, or I mean, something, what, what would that be? It's probably energy drinks like bang or you know i drink too much of that I, I go to the gym quite a bit i call it liquid motivation and i know it's so bad for me and <laughs> it but, but yeah i just can't stop i i need caffeine i completely get that because people who have listened to this show before have heard me reference red bull a couple times and i myself am also an energy drink i don't aficionado if you will i don't know what the what a better term would be for it other than uh, addicted to energy drinks but i actually just had an energy drink this morning so I mean, yeah, no, I completely get that, especially with Red Bull. It, it's gotten to the point where the taste was like super strong, but I was just like, I just need the caffeine. And now I've like gotten an acquired taste for it that I just like, like I would like to drink a Red Bull sometimes. Oh yeah, I'll come into the office sometimes and like someone has one open and I can just smell it in the air. <laughs> and that's the, that's when you know you have an addiction. Right, oh man, that's, yeah, that's scary. <laughs> I, I need to, personally, I've had a couple of people that are like, Sam, you really need to cut back on those things. They're so bad for you. And I'm just like, but at least I get the sugar-free ones. Like, you know, I'm making a step towards it. All right, so the last question, or rather I should say questions, I actually have a somewhat of a military trivia for you today. So let we're gonna go ahead and test your skills on the branches of our armed forces here in the United States of America. Are you ready? I think so. All right. Okay. So this is the first and it's multiple choice. And you can thank our producer, Jessica Thomas for that. Cause previous times that I've had trivia segments, I don't usually do multiple choice. So this I think will definitely go a little bit better than some of the previous trivia that I've had, but here's the first one for you. Which celebrity has served in the air force? Is it a Johnny cash? B, Isaac Newton. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. I didn't even have to say the rest of it. Yes. So Johnny Cash served in the Air Force in 1950 for four years. The other two were John Wayne and Tom Cruise. But yes, Johnny Cash is correct. All right. So that I think is a good omen of how this is going to go. So question two, how many presidents have been a part of the military? A, 10, B, 26, C, 34, D, 8. I'm going to go 34. So it's actually 26. I actually guessed eight i think so i i like really really lowballed it we've had 26 presidents that have served in the military i don't know all of them to be honest she didn't list those for me so i won't be able to name all of them i th the only one that comes to mind for me is dwight eisenhower and i might totally be wrong about that but i'm pretty sure he served in the military so here we go the next question is what are the warrior games is it a a board game night for soldiers b a wrestling match C, a series of sporting events in the military, or D, an obstacle course? It's kind of like a trick question. If I remember correctly, I've heard some people involved in this. I believe it's a series of like sporting events, like a field day kind of thing, where people from the military, a lot of wounded warriors, I think, compete against each other. That is absolutely correct. So yes, what I've got right here is C, the Warrior Games is a sporting event that is held 
for the soldiers who served and were injured. So you are 100% on the money there. All right, so next question. Which movie influenced the enlistment of Air Force recruits? Is it A, Groundhog Day, B, Reservoir Dogs, C, Top Gun, or D, Goodwill Hunting? I'm going to assume Top Gun. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so Top Gun influenced a significant number of recruits to enlist in the Air Force after its release. I know none of these movies, but always tell people that I just, I'm not a big movie person, so I'm not going to know any movies. But whenever Jessica was telling me about this, she was like, what? How have you never watched? Da, 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 da. I'm just like, I, I just don't watch movies. I'm sorry. I think the irony is that most pilots are actually in the Navy. Oh, really? <laughs> All right, so the next question, and this one actually, I, I feel proud because I, I got this one right, but it, it made sense. So during Christmas, which department of the military handles calls about Santa Claus? Is it A, U.S. Fleet Forces Command, B, U.S. Army Space and Missile Command, C, U.S. Air Defense Command, and D, Office of the Chief of Naval Operations? Wait, now I gotta think acronyms. I know it's NORAD. I don't know which department that's in. What was the fourth one? The fourth one was Office of the Chief of Naval Operations. I think it was the third one. I'm just going to guess that. U.S. Air Defense Command. So, yes, that is correct. The U.S. Air Defense Command handles all calls about Santa Claus during Christmas, and they even have a website that tracks Santa on Christmas Eve. And I just use context clues for that one. I was just like, air defense, obviously. I mean, Santa flies through the air. So <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I went with that one. All right, this one I for sure got wrong. I was kind of surprised by it. What is the mascot for the U.S. Navy? Is it A, a goat, B, a shark, C, an otter, or D, a mule? It's the first one. It is, yes. The mascot for the Navy is a goat named Bill the Goat. I guessed otter. I don't know why. I just, I mean, Navy, otter, I don't know. I just thought they matched, but. All right, last trivia question that I have for you today. So what is the largest U.S. military base? Is it Fort Benning, Lewis McCord Joint Base, Fort Bragg, or Fort Campbell? You know, that, you threw me off here because I actually thought the largest military base in, in the world was where I was stationed at Fort Hood. I guess I'd have to go with Fort Benning, then. So it is actually Fort Bragg, the largest U.S. military base in the world. It is located in North Carolina, where it covers more than 100,000 acres of land. Did not know that. I guess we got lied to. <laughs> Fort Hood. Maybe, or maybe it's just changed. I don't know how like often those places expand or whatever, but maybe it was the case back in the day. But that is the end of our trivia segment, and you actually did pretty good. I mean, you got basically all of them except for two, right? Which is better than most people do with some of my trivia segments. So great, great job with that. So now that brings us to the end of this segment, and we're going to go ahead and just take a very quick break. And whenever we get back, let's talk a little bit more about the work that you do here at UT Austin for veteran services. So don't go away, y'all. We'll be right back. Texas 512 is part of the Texas Podcast Network, the conversations changing the world. Brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this podcast represent the views of the hosts and not the University of Texas at Austin. All right, and we are back. We're kind of going to bring it back to the intro where I was asking you a little bit more about you, and you kind of already started telling us a little bit more about your military background as well, but let's hear a little bit more. So first things first, I wanted to ask you to, of course, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey. Again, you kind of already started to talk about it if you want to continue on with that as you want to, and talk a little bit more about how you ended up in your current role. What does your current role entail? Like, what what is your job? And then you kind of already started talking about your your 
prior military experience, but if you want to kind of tell us a little bit more or, or anything that you feel comfortable with and why you're so passionate about student veteran services. Yeah, I joined the military. It was just, you know, I'd worked in retail management. I was actually a lot older than a lot of my peers in the military. I was 26 when I joined and, you know, I'd done various things over the years. Fun fact about me, I originally went to college to be a funeral director. Um, and worked in funeral homes for many years. Got out of that business and got into retail management and just decided there was more I had to give and decided to join the military. I was married at the time, three kids. So it was, it was definitely a shock to go from that to being, you know, a private in basic training getting screamed at by someone. It was a humbling experience, but yeah, six years in the army. And like I said, stationed at Fort Hood the entire six years, I went from a private to a staff sergeant in the same platoon. I never left. I guess I was too good at my job, I was told, which is, I guess a good problem. So I deployed twice. I deployed in 2003 with 4th Infantry Division. We were in the middle of the Sunni Triangle, right at the beginning of the Iraq conflict, kind of the Wild West. It was, it was a crazy time. And was there about eight months the first time, came back, kind of regroup, retrain, re-equip, and then go back again. I went back in 2005. Scheduled to go back a third time when it, was, it wasn't like a cool story or anything. I was running and tore my Achilles tendon. <laughs> and they, you know, that was kind of the, the moment that they said, you know, it, it was going to impact my career. Like, yeah, you can stay in, but, you know, you might not be able to walk and we're not sure that you'll be able to do your job anymore. So unfortunately, decided to get out. And honestly, I look back, it was probably one of the toughest decisions I've ever made in my life because you really do build that camaraderie with everyone. We were getting ready to deploy again. You know, there's just a feeling that you're abandoning people and you know, it's just, it's a tough thing. It's, it's ingrained into you, but made the decision for my, my family and myself and, you know, decided at that point to transition to, to go to school. And that's really where, you know, I became inspired to get into this field. I'd always been very interested in what I would call helping professions anyway. I always wanted to do things where I was helping people. But, you know, as I was transitioning out and just saw what a disaster it was, to be honest, and, and just how confusing it was and how little information there was and how many people out there that were, that were strangely actually trying to hurt your transition out of the military and trying to like punish you on the way out for you know, leaving. You know, I decided at that time I wanted to help veterans. I wanted to work in that way somehow. So I finished my bachelor's degree. I, I got both of my degrees at the Texas A&M campus just outside of Fort Hood. Got my bachelor's in political science and then still had quite a bit of GI Bill left. I was also a student veteran when they transitioned over from the Montgomery GI Bill to the post 9-11 GI Bill. Then decided to get my master's, stayed on, like I said, got that in history. And then when I got out, I worked, went back to Fort Hood as a contractor and helped facilitate their suicide prevention program uh, for about a year. And then also worked as a contractor, helping transitioning. Really, we had everybody, soldiers, air, airmen, Marines, transitioning through Fort Hood out of the military, helping them understand VA benefits. Led a team that did that. We had about 25 people that did briefings every single week. So it was good, but it wasn't quite still what I was looking for. It wasn't as fulfilling. And I really, you know, had kind of had my fill of living in clean as well and, and wanted to get to Austin. Found UT, there happened to be an opening for uh, coordinator of veteran services under the previous director, Ben Armstrong, who really got the, the office started in 2011. So in 2013, the fall, I started as a coordinator. About a year and a half later, Ben 
then left and I took over as director, interim director at the time. And that's kind of the story of how I got here and what inspired me is just, and I think that that's why we've been successful because it's personal to me. I'm not just taking a job because I needed a paycheck. It was, it was like, I've been through this. I don't want anybody else to have to go through what I did, you know, where there was some little lady in a basement office who did a hundred other things. And then one of her hundred things was helping veterans sometimes sort of and you know we wanted to to just shift that mindset and, and make it much more substantive than it was 100 percent, yeah and i think that you and i kind of connect with that as, as well in that as well because you know a lot of the work that i do as an admissions counselor involves working with like first generation students and that that's that's an issue that's personal to me because i myself was like a first generation student you know i had to navigate the college process by myself and so it only makes sense that you end up in something like this because because you yourself were were at that point and you experienced it and even me looking from the outside I can tell how complicated that whole process can be because there's just so much information that you need to take in and so I, I really do really appreciate the work that you do um, for our, our veteran students and students who are children of, of, of veterans because it, it really in my opinion it's not easy work and and I think that it's it's something that's important that these students need to know how to be able to take advantage of of those benefits that are offered to them. So really, really appreciate you for what you do. Now, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about your office and, and talk a little bit more about the resources that are offered, right? So what are some of the reasons that students come to your office? What benefits do veterans usually utilize? I heard you kind of talking about the GI Bill. So I know that's one of the things. How would a student, you know, if, if it just so happens that whether they're incoming, current student, a prospective student, how would a student who is in this situation go about getting that process started of taking advantage of their benefits? You know, there's not a single answer to that. But I mean, a lot of people think that we're the veteran office. And, and when the office was opened, it was called Student Veteran Services. It was, you know, at the time, Dr. Lilly, who is now Vice President of Student Affairs at the university, opened the office. She really believed it was important to have, you know, as more and more military veterans were transitioning out, taking advantage of their GI Bill, we needed services on campus to help support those students. But what a lot of people don't realize is we also serve the dependents of veterans. So it's actually three to one over our veterans. We have about 1,300 dependents of veterans on campus and then about 450 veterans, which that number's actually gone up. I'll get into that a little bit. But so we, we support the student. Every single student is different. They come in with different circumstances. There are multiple benefits, far more. People think GI Bill is like a singular. You know, there's the post 9-11 GI Bill, the Montgomery GI Bill. There's special GI Bills for Guard and Reserve. Then we have the Hazelwood which is specific to Texas, which is a tuition exemption for, for people that enlisted out of Texas. Sometimes people can split, you know, in certain circumstances, they can be using both at the same time. Some are only available to dependents, you know, Chapter 35, which is for children of veterans who were 100% disabled or deceased due to military service. So, there's a lot of different benefits out there. And I think the, the big challenge for us is constantly keeping our ear to the ground, you know, changes. A lot of times we don't even know something has changed until a student comes in and hands us a letter they got from the VA and they said, hey, I can't do this anymore. We're like, what? Read the letter. We're like, sure enough, they made a rule change and didn't tell us. So it's just constantly. But, you know, I have an amazing, amazing team 
and some of the services that we offer. So specific to our space, we have a physical space that's open during business hours. And I'm proud to say, you know, as much as we were able, we stayed open to continue to serve students throughout the, the pandemic. We had a skeleton crew. So we have Dave, he, he runs our day-to-day -day operations in our office. We also have a team of VA work-study students, both dependents and veterans. So somebody's always there at the desk, their peers, their fellow students. Dave is a 26-year Navy vet who is also an undergrad at UT. He's now currently a grad student in LBJ while he still works full-time serving our community. We also have, you know, coming from the admission side, right when COVID started, we were able to hire a military admission and enrollment specialist. His name is Michael Knox. He's also a retired Army First Sergeant. So he works directly with the admissions office to provide that continuity. So when students call in and specifically looking for that military admission piece, he connects with all those students. And I really attribute the numbers. We've been, you know, I won't get into it here, but the, the laws in Texas with the top 10% rule and, and things like that have made it really difficult for a lot of our veterans who come in as transfer students to get in. So having Michael there to help walk them through the process, help them understand what the requirements are, showing them how to be a competitive applicant. We finally kind of, I, I say, stopped the bleeding and actually started to heal a bit and our numbers have started to to climb again, which is huge. But students can come into our office. We have a lounge. We have free coffee every day. We have testing center. We're alternate testing site if students have disability accommodations. So we can actually proctor exams for our student veterans and military students. Or just a place, you know, what's most important. I took a picture yesterday. We probably had 10 students in our office at one time and just seeing you, you know, one of the guys in the office said, it's so nice to see people's teeth again, you know, people smiling. And instead of on a screen, just normalizing things, coming in and saying, God, this class is killing me. And somebody's like, yeah, I had that class last year. It's, it's really tough. And, you know, that's just been a huge piece that's been missing during the pandemic. But as I alluded to as well, too, it should have led with that. We have changed our name and, and that speaks to the demographic we serve. So we are veteran and military affiliated services. It was important to us that we didn't make it seem as though we were just serving veterans. And I and I honestly, I wanted student out of the name because we serve so many more. We talk to veteran sponsors, so the parents of our kids that are here. We talk to, you know, Knox is talking to prospective students that aren't students yet. So, you know, we serve anybody who calls in with a question we're happy to answer it. That is fantastic because as the admissions office, obviously we're working with majority of the time, we're working with students who have not yet become students at UT Austin. And they always have questions about, you know, how they can utilize their benefits or what resources are available to them as dependents of veterans. And it's so refreshing to hear that y'all's office serves such a wide constituency. I, I think it's, it's really, really great that y'all have opened that up for basically everybody. And it, it sounds like a really, really great environment that I don't think every university has something like this. So it, it sounds to me a lot like anybody that's, you know, looking at, at coming to UT, that they'll be very well supported if they fall within, within this. And that, that's really cool. And another cool thing that, that you kind of mentioned was that basically everybody that works in your office is military or was military at one point, or, or the student workers are, are dependents of military. So they all can relate to the people that you're serving. Finally, I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the, the success that your office has seen, you know, you mentioned that you've been here for, for a couple of years. And so I wanted to see how have you seen that your office's services have impacted students? Are, are there any like memorable moments that maybe like stick out to you in your head of any like student?
students or families that you've worked with in the past. Right. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a couple more pieces in our office. You know, we also have VA full-time social worker on our campus that can provide mental health service. We're only, I think, three schools in Texas and only you know, 50 or 60 in the country have the opportunity we have here, but it, he also can provide kind of a liaison with the VA, but can also do on-site counseling for our students, which has been an incredible asset. And that, his name's Jeff Moe. He actually started a month before I did, and, and he's really been instrumental in helping me build this up over the years. And we were given a blank slate here, you know, it, it, it was a blank canvas, really, when we started. Previous director had kind of started the painting, sketched it out, and, and then he left, and then we were kind of left to, to to figure out. Uh, we also have a student org, Student Veteran Association, which does a tremendous job. Rosie is our, our current president. And she's currently planning events throughout the year. They're really in charge of our community and, and we consider our the president of that organization to be part of our staff. You know, a lot of the, it's so challenging to, to think about in a specific sense, like how have we seen the impact? Like we've received accolades just before COVID hit, we were named as number six in the country for veterans and number one in the state of Texas, which was huge because we used to not even show up on the map and now we're number six in the country as far as serving veterans. We were also named in 2019. It's me specifically, but it speaks to the whole office as Student Veterans of America out of Washington, D.C. named me as Veteran Advisor of the Year. So those are some of the recognitions, but those mean a lot less to me than when I run into a student after graduation or I see the spouse of a student that we knew really well and just, you know, to come in and just say thank you and, and to see them graduate. We do a specific veteran orientation session. So every single cohort through every single orientation, we have a veteran specific orientation session. And we're the first people really that our veterans see when they get to orientation. And I always tell them, you know, I'm excited to see you today. But as one of your bosses, you know, Mike Washington in admissions, I heard him say once, and I always repeat it, everyone thinks a lot about getting into UT, but nobody thinks about getting out. I think that's absolutely true. And that's really where we come in to provide these services and just walk these students through. And, you know, just to hear the feedback from students, we, we understand that what we're doing is not just providing a service or keeping the lights on in an office on a campus. It, it's really generational chain to take somebody and just help them rewrite the path of their life. A lot of our veterans, I mean, I hear the same and I have the same exact story and almost all of our veterans do. It's like, look, I, I went to college, didn't do what I was supposed to do, partied too much, didn't take it seriously, kind of failed out, went to the military, got my life together, came out and now, you know, I've got a 3.9, got into UT and now I'm, I'm, I'm changing the direction of my life. So to be able to walk people through that, be able to see them walk across the stage at, at graduation, you know, it's just, it's such an incredibly humbling experience. Definitely. No, that sounds fantastic. And I'm I'm really appreciative of you being here on this podcast because I'm, I'm hoping that this reaches those students as well so that they know they have such a fantastic support system here at UT Austin. And it, it honestly does. And one of the great things about this podcast for me being the host is that I get to hear from so many different voices on campus and this this gives me more reassurance that I'm, I'm able to tell or or more information for me to be able to reassure students that they're going to be taken care of here no matter their situation and in, in your case of course in y'all's case of course you know for student veterans and, and dependents of veterans so I really really appreciate the work that you and your team do it sounds like y'all are, are doing fantastic things and you're being very humble about it being like yeah I mean it's like I got named I, I got this cool award but it's I mean whatever no big deal but I mean it really does sound like y'all are doing amazing work um, and i really appreciate you for taking the time to be here so we've come of course to the 
the end of the podcast. And as usual, I allow my guests to plug whatever it is that is on their heart. So Jeremiah, the floor is now yours. What is on your mind? What is on your heart? I mean, of course, shout out to my team, Jeff, again, who's been there with me since the very beginning. David, David Lesenberry running the office and really just the the, the engine that runs that place. Uh, Michael Knox working with all the admissions folks and Rosie Bravo, you know, our SBA president, all of our previous SBA presidents. I mean, I can't say enough about the students who are full-time students who, you know, I, I did think of a student success story. One of our previous presidents, her name is Rebecca, and it's kind of an interesting admission story. She, she was a linguist and worked for the NSA, did all kinds of like secret stuff in the military, and then came to UT and wanted to get into she thought macombs and they they said no nah, pass because she has such an interesting story and i'm probably going to get it wrong but i believe she had 129 credit hours from seven institutions when she applied went down they said well what else would interest you she went down alphabetically in the list and just decided to pick something so she 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 ended up doing uh, it's it's physics but like astronomy so the first thing she saw that interested her was astronomy and she ended up by this student who got denied admission initially came in, ended up getting um, published as an undergrad in astrophysics, graduated with a degree in astrophysics, and now is getting her PhD at UT in astrophysics. Just tremendous, like discovered some new star or galaxy or something. She presented to Senator Cornyn about two years ago when he came to campus to see kind of the work that we're doing here. And that's just an incredible, she went from not being admitted to somebody in the, the astronomy department taking a chance on her. And, and now she's, you know, doing just incredible work across the, the country and the world, really, astronomy and physics. So, you know, that's just one story. And then on top of that, she was also one of our previous Student Veteran Association president. On top of all the other work she was doing, she's still committed to that. And it's just that sense of service that our students have and just that drive to be successful. So shout out to her, shout out to all of our previous Student Veteran presidents. Another guy, Dan Hamilton, who now works for the George P. Bush. And, as a special advisor, just the incredible things our students do when they leave here too. It, I mean, what starts here changes the world. I know that's kind of cliched here on campus, but it, it really is true. So shout out to everybody who's done that. Everybody on campus, all of our partners in the registrar's office and admissions and financial aid, you know, just every single partner we have serving our students. There's, everybody's got a hand in their success. It's not just our office, and, and we really appreciate that. So that's my shout out. Also to my beautiful fiance, Tracy, you know, putting up with me <laughs> to do all this stuff all the time, so. See, you were nervous about this and you did fantastic. This is a great, great, great shout out. Thanks so much, Jeremiah. And again, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule, I'm sure, to come and sit down with me and have a conversation about uh, military trivia as well as what your office does. Really, really appreciate it. And I've learned a lot today and I hope that our listeners got a little bit more out of this as well. But that brings us once again to the end of today's episode of Texas 512. Thanks for tuning in. If you did, um, stay cool, stay hydrated, and as always, hook them horns. Oh,